So hi, and welcome back to A Step Above Hearing with Annalise Starzik. Uh, today I have Caroline Game with me, and she is a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine. She was actually my mentor in, or no, my senior buddy. Yes, my buddy <laughs> uh, my freshman year here at the University of Alabama. So hey. Hey, I am so excited to be here. It's like such an honor. This is my first podcast. Love it. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like, um, I don't know, I'm just really looking forward to, I feel like it's a little ironic, I'm looking forward to talking on a podcast that's about listening. Yeah, but um, it is is a little ironic. (laughs) But no, I'm really just excited and honored to be here. I'm honored to have you here. You're definitely one of the people that I had in mind when I started this podcast. And I mean that every sense of the word. I was like, we need to give Caroline a place to talk. Um, And here it is. Yes. Uh, I love it. Yeah. So today we're talking a little bit about, or a lot of it, about um, mania and kind of mental health and... Mm -hmm. Whatever else comes up and bubbles up in conversation. Yeah. I guess I'll just start by saying that I come from a place of, as you know, having a manic episode um, this past summer that completely sort of changed my life and my outlook on mental health. Um, I didn't really know much about mental illness until I had an experience where I sort of had to know a lot about it and where I learned um, through that process and through my episode. And I think that that's one of the main reasons why I'm just so excited to talk about it. I haven't really had a chance to, in a not so private way, just speak about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the main things that happens in the aftermath of an episode is you sort of feel really alone and misunderstood um, because people make a lot of sort of assumptions about you and your episode once that happens or just your mental health in general. And I think having the chance to really dive into what mania is and have a chance to talk about what it means to have a manic episode is really um, healing for me in my process just to have this chance to do that so it's I think it's a good way to just kind of casually and openly just express how you feel and another thing like we talked I think we did talk about this a little bit is like in a podcast the listener just has to listen and I think with a lot of other people's mental health often we feel the need to kind of interject our own opinions and thoughts which is fine Mm -hmm. and sometimes welcome but um well I guess a definition would help for people that don't know so mania is essentially it's a mental illness as we know and it is half of bipolar disorder or manic depression and it is essentially a mental illness that is marked by this is like kind of the literal definition if you look it up it's marked by periods of a lot of excitement, potentially euphoria, um, and hyperactivity. And within that, there can sort of be fluctuating moods. And so you might have super hyperactive excitement or super hyperactive um, irritability or agitation, or again, euphoria. It can sort of fluctuate. It all depends on whatever is stimulating the person at the given moment. 
very much dependent on what the surroundings of the person and sort of come up in a few TV shows that I've been watching recently. Like if you, do you watch Grey's Anatomy? I haven't watched that much, but I've seen a couple episodes, but I haven't like watched it a lot. Okay, well for those that have, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but in the last... <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> if you're not completely caught up, but in, in the last couple of episodes, the character DeLuca has a manic episode, and he his surrounding that's sort of influencing him is that one of the other doctors has this illness that they don't know what it is and turns out that he is like cobalt poisoning in his hip or something Mm -hmm. um but deluca is having a manic episode and he makes it his mission to figure out what's wrong with him and so he like is staying up all night researching having a full-blown manic episode um and that's sort of one example of just how stimuli can really affect the person um and that's sort of why you get those fluctuating moods um but some of the symptoms of mania include lack of sleep um not as much need for food um again like hyperactivity flight of ideas so sort of saying things that don't quite make sense connecting ideas that aren't actually connections Um, having grandiose beliefs so thinking that you are like omnipotent or having like an extreme sense of confidence or self-esteem all of that also as I said can be extreme extreme irritability or agitation like Mm -hmm. oftentimes people in manic episodes are like furious or again super euphoric and that's actually why mania is super dangerous for two reasons one being that the person doesn't think that anything is wrong like they think everyone else is crazy for thinking that they're crazy so that's why it's really hard to get um the person help especially if they're not a minor that's also really difficult um but also because like i said it can be it mania can feel really good like incredible euphoric it it can really the person might feel extremely powerful during an episode and that's not something that anyone wants to give up right so they are still looking into what the exact causes are but four things that they or five things i think that they are saying could be factors are again lack of sleep so mania sort of manifests itself uh, with sleep deprivation, um, drug and alcohol use, certain medications oftentimes influence it, and then genetics. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you have a, you know, a relative that has bipolar disorder or has had a manic episode, you are more likely to have it. Mania is also dangerous because there's something called mixed affective state, which is where... Um, depression and mania sort of collide Mm. and so you have someone who's super depressed but sort of um having an increased activity like overstimulated and that can lead to them like committing suicide or like violence or self-harm and then same on the flip side you have someone who's super manic who is hyperactive but has um, depression symptoms can lead to the same things. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's interesting. I, I think it's a very like multifaceted probably mental illness that's really hard and difficult to generalize. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it is often like very generalized. And like you said, a lot of people probably come to like drawing assumptions or conclusions about not only you know your manic episode but just mania in general yeah. and kind of what's that what that's like or kind of putting this umbrella over all of mental illness yeah that I'm sure well it's just not not healthy probably at all I'm not only for you but just for the understanding of people as a whole because if if they can put a label on it and it's not their problem then they'll push it away and it's something that they just don't want to I don't know if it's like think about it or more so just recognize that it's perhaps a problem with more people than they know or more people than they realize for sure and no one manic episode is the same Um, there are some people that have hypomanic episodes which are sort of a less extreme version of mania Um, the symptoms are not quite as um, exacerbated as Mm -hmm. full-blown mania and usually people that have a hypomanic episode that's part of bipolar 2 and that typically um, that doesn't require hospitalization full-blown mania typically does and that's usually part of bipolar 1 and then there's also something called a manic episode with psychotic features so that's when you start getting delusions hallucinations Um, paranoid thoughts and so yeah like you just can't put any of it into one category because everyone is going to be stimulated by different things and it depends on also how long you go without receiving help Mm -hmm. because there are absolutely stages of it and it will increase depending on the days that go on without um, getting the help that you need And sort of along those lines of those assumptions, that was something I really wanted to talk about is that that's one of the reasons why the aftermath can feel so isolating and so embarrassing and just full of guilt and shame I can't even describe is because you have all these people not only making assumptions about your mental health in general um, or your illness in general, but also about like things that you did and said. And I think that I remember I was having a conversation with one of my friends and there was something that I said during my episode that was just like, it happened in private and it was like absolutely horrific. Like just a terrible, awful thing that I said to somebody like can't even repeat it in my own head. It was so bad. And my friend was like, well, some people think that that's what's in your subconscious. And I think that one, that's one thing that I really want to address is just for people to have some grace for people with mental illness because not everything that they say is what they mean. Your brain can just do wild, unbelievable, incredible, powerful, horrific things that are not a reflection of your heart. And it is so complicated. Like mental illness is complicated. Psychotherapy is complicated. And my psychiatrist and my therapist haven't even figured out everything that happened in my episode. Mm -hmm. So there's no way, you know, that all of my friends or the bystander bystanders could 
have a grasp on it either. And it's going to take me a lifetime. It's going to take most people with a manic episode a lifetime to figure out where was the truth? Where were the lies? Why did I say this? I don't mean that. I do mean this. You know, why did this happen? All of that. And it's going to take the professionals and the person a lifetime to figure it out. So I think that that's one thing that I would want to say to people that were observers. It's just like, don't think that you know more about the person or the person's illness or mental health or their episode than, than they do and the professionals because they're still working it out. So there's no way that have it all figured out. So just whatever amount of grace you can give is like crucial for someone who has dealt with something like that. Yeah, I would say that, that it's necessary for a person that has an episode to heal because if all these people were extremely important before their episode in their life and they were supporting them every day, hopefully, then after the fact, it should almost be more so. You should almost give them more grace than you ever thought was possible. Because if not, then then what what is it for? Like, it doesn't matter what the other person said or did. I think that it should come to kind of a, that happened, we're here now, and the best thing I can do is, like, give you grace to heal. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just, like, well, you said that, so maybe you meant that, and I don't know. No, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I think... Everyone needs a lot more grace all of the time, mm-hmm. but I definitely think that grace is a huge, I'm sure it's a huge part of the healing process. Definitely. And the thing is that... And giving yourself grace too. That is the hardest part. Right. Like anything that anyone could think or say about me and my um, episode, I've already said it to myself times 10. The forgiveness that is required from your yourself to heal is the hardest part of all of it like finding that but yeah sort of like on that topic of not you know of not making those assumptions that's like one of the things that people say like trying not to take things personally because again they don't always mean the things that they say that is so crucial there are sort of mixed opinions on this as someone who has had an episode and can remember a lot of it. I know that something that I really needed during that time was not to be left alone. Mm-hmm. Because when I was left alone, bad things were happening. Um, and so having like people just sit with me or go on a walk with me, that was like everything to me. And don't try to argue with a person that's having an episode because you just won't win. Yeah. Like it's you're not gonna win, but but definitely encouraging them to eat and sleep. Um, they won't want to, but but if you can lightly encourage them to eat and sleep and receive help, and really just try try not to take things personally, um, because they there is always an objective in a manic episode. There is something, sort of like what I mentioned with the Grey's Anatomy character, it's like his main objective is to figure out what's wrong with this doctor, like find the diagnosis. And for me and mine, it was, I had two, I would say. It was either to hurt or to lift up. And just pray that you are on the lift up side of things. Mm Because the hurt people, the people that I wanted to hurt, I like really 
we done did it, you know? Yeah. So, but there's always an MO. Um, and most of it was trying to, and I think that this is something that, uh, maybe this was just me, I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but like right. for, for my episode, it, I wanted to feel powerful and mm-hmm. I wanted to feel like as high as the sky. And for me, the only way in my episode that I felt like I could do that was to push other people down, like to step on other people. There's always an MO and the person will do anything to achieve it. And that is why it's best not to take things personally, <laughs> if, if, if possible. And I, it is so difficult for the bystanders because there is a level of sort of like, what just happened? Like, who is this person? Because it's, it's completely out of character. Mm-hmm. If the person is, is not in their right mind. I often say that my, that during my episode, I was not Caroline, I was Carol. That's what my therapist says, is like, that was Carol. And people, people have never met Carol before. And P- Carol wasn't, she was difficult to like, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's, it's just one of those things where it takes people a lot of time to sort of like invite Caroline back into their lives because when you meet Carol in such a extreme way and for me it was my episode as you know was terribly public mm-hmm. and that comes with an aftermath that I can't even describe just like picking up the pieces rebuilding the bridges all of that um and it can be humiliating and the the shame cycle or spiral whatever it's called Mm -hmm. um that's the main piece of advice i would give to someone who is observing someone in an episode is a know how to um identify it Mm -hmm. because if you can't identify it then you can't help the person and then also just try to sit with them both emotionally and physically and have as much you know grace and forgiveness as possible but take take space you know do what you need to do for yourself as well so that you can be there for them and if you can't be there for them then that's fine too i think we kind of like keep on beating around this bush of you know not assuming things about not only your manic episode but if someone knows someone else that has like um, or has observed someone else in a manic episode or, you know, mental illness as a whole, like, not assuming things, right? Okay, so what is the best way for someone to approach a conversation? Um, and I know that you're pretty open. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we're talking on a podcast. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, without... Because I feel like a lot of people, there's like a stigma almost around like, oh, well, we can't address you know, what happened, um, because it's, you know, maybe not, maybe it's not my place, maybe she doesn't want to talk about it. So, I guess regarding that, is there a stigma around these conversations? Is there a good way to go about, like, pushing past that, if at all? And how much space should someone allow in these conversations to listen and respond? I don't know. That Does is, that make sense? Yes, that is such a good question. And again, this is one of those things where I can't speak for everybody. Right. Um, but I know for me, and I imagine a lot of people that have experienced this, 
there is a period of rumination right after the episode where, because it's trauma, I mean, it really is. Like having an episode, is a, it is a traumatic event, um, especially if it's not taken care of, uh, you know, in a timely manner. Um, and th- that comes with a period of extreme isolation and rumination and complication and maybe even depression. I know for me, all I could think about was my episode. It was on my mind 24 seven. Flashbacks of things that I did and said, just like constantly reliving it all the time. And I would like, I would be having a conversation with you and you'd be speaking, talking about that active listening, you know? Yeah. I was I I wouldn't be because like you would be saying something to me and my mind was on my episode mm-hmm. like it, because it's it is it is traumatic yeah. for for me at least it was traumatic and I could not think about anything else I was just like a shell of a human I would say and, and I know that sounds like okay don't bring it up but actually for for me and for a lot of people err on the side of talking to them about it because they might be just looking for someone to ask because they don't want it to be the elephant in the room you know at least I didn't like I said they're probably looking for an opportunity to speak about the things that are constantly in their mind all the time and it is so difficult to focus on other things especially in those like few weeks months afterwards Mm -hmm that getting the chance to like sort of like what we're doing right now just like you see I'm just kind of like word vomiting yeah you know and it's because this is something that is still on my mind and something that I'm now very passionate about talking about and so asking the person how they're doing and you know what that aftermath is like can sometimes be so healing I remember one of my friends um who had a manic episode as well reached out to me and she was like let's talk and she said I know I'm always looking for an opportunity to talk about my episode and I think that's that sort of puts it um simply is just yeah err on the side of of talking about it of course give space when needed mm-hmm. and don't I would say Try not to bring it up in a way that might be, and I know this is hard, um, because you don't really know what is going to trigger the person. Try not to talk about how it affected you, if at all possible. If you need to have a conversation about like how it affected your friendship for the sake of your friendship or something, that's obviously fair. If it's something that you need to talk about with the person, talk about it, but just like, do it gently, but I, I would say err on the side of, of giving that space for them to, to talk about it. And if they don't want to talk about it, they won't. Yeah. They'll say it. They'll be like, I don't want to talk about it, probably, is what they'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for me, I'm always looking for an opportunity to, to word vomit about the thing that's always on my mind. Just don't, um, don't have any idea of what they can or cannot handle but actually have the conversation because you don't you don't know where they are in their healing process and so you you can't really decide 
that for them, like decide what they can or can't handle. And having that open dialogue about that is really important because that is another thing that can make it feel very isolating is for people not, not to ask how, you know, how you're doing or, or what you're capable of because they might be healed and ready to take on the world Mm -hmm. and you, you know, don't get to decide where they are in their healing process, just being an observer, you know. I think it's interesting how little we learn about a lot of these things in school. And I don't know when the appropriate age or time or place to learn about these things would be, but I don't feel like you should learn about it just because someone, until someone you know has been affected. I feel like someone should, it should be in the curriculum somewhere, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, there's a lot of things that should be in the curriculum somewhere, but I don't know. There's something that doesn't sit right with the fact that, like, you don't know about mania, or like someone might not know about mania or you know maybe bipolar disorder or anything unless they have a family member that is affected or um, someone that they know a close friend and I just think that perhaps more education on the subject beforehand could do a lot of people a lot of good I know that you like to you say you like like to word vomit about it and kind of just be really open about it I would like to know your opinion on just kind of this world world perspective when do you think would be appropriate for students to learn about this because I mean you wouldn't learn about any of this unless you took like a AP psych course maybe maybe in high school um, or a dual enrollment course or you know a keynote speaker that comes in I don't know where like what I'm asking you no, but I I'm know, like putting I it an out answer. oh perfect yeah. beautiful um, I have I definitely have an opinion um I I think it's really interesting that in health class, you only learn about physical health. Mm. That is interesting to me, as if the only thing that makes you a healthy person is your physical well-being, when typically more people struggle with mental well-being. So I don't know. I, I guess I just wish that that curriculum included mental illness and, you know, mental health especially like oh my gosh I think about like middle schoolers like oh no one was right in middle school like no one was okay or in high school but especially like that preteen area you are really trying to figure out some some heavy stuff Mm -hmm. usually um because it's just such a transitional period in your you know childhood and I think that that having a little bit more sense of your mental well-being and having an open dialogue about it because it is I don't know why it's so taboo to talk about something that is affecting so many people it's like it is just it's confusing to me I don't understand it it doesn't have there doesn't have to be this stigma around it people start make like we said people start making these uh, preconceived assumptions about the person um, which is really just unfortunate. But I do think that it would help if it was talked about from an early age because I know for me it was like my, you know, I'm 21. It was my early adulthood was the first time that I was really having this kind of an open dialogue about mm-hmm. it. And if if I knew more about bipolar disorder or even like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, oh my gosh, like there is such 
such a stigma around um, schizophrenia as well, which is so much more than just hallucinations. Like it is a whole world that people don't understand. And same with like personality disorders, just everything. There, there's just such a people just make such. I feel like that's the word of the day: assumptions. Assumptions. Yeah. But it, but it is like there's just such a stigma around it. It's so taboo, and I think that the earlier in like in a person's childhood that people can talk about it openly, um, the less of a stigma there will be. You know, it, anything that is taboo, it is because there is a lack of education, I would say. Mm. Um, it's not talked about. The less you talk about it, the less you have those open dialogues, the the more taboo it is. And I think it, it all stems from education. What you said about, you said every taboo stems from a lack of education. And that is wildly true. I guess, kind of like, are there words that people, words, phrases, and ideas that people should be more sensitive about moving forward um, when trying to support a loved one who has experienced a manic episode? I'll ask you about that specifically just because I don't want you to have to feel like you have to speak for everyone or everything. Yeah, for me, I remember, it's so funny that you asked this question because I notice it so much in like TV shows and stuff now, but I remember a couple, maybe like a month after my episode, I was out in public and the song, it's like, I think it's like an 80s song, but it's called Maniac. Mm -hmm. Um... It's like, she's a maniac, mate. That one? Yeah. Yeah. That came on, and I immediately, like, my whole body was like, mm-hmm. oh, and I, because I never associated that word with, like, a manic episode. Yeah. But technically speaking, like, a person in a manic episode is, quote, a maniac. Like, that is, like, the associated term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was like, okay, I don't want that to be in my vocabulary like being a maniac is not should not be associated with like I don't know it's not an identity yeah it is a disorder and so that was a word that I was like I just don't want that to be in my vocabulary something else is like saying that someone is like schizo or psycho some of those words are just like not helpful I know for me um I am trying not to say like I am bipolar, but rather say I have bipolar disorder mm-hmm. because again, it is, it is something that I have. It is not something that I am. Mm. Um, and I, cause no one would ever say like, I am depression. I am anxiety. Cause they're not like the, they're not the illness in general. It's just something that they have. You would say I have depression. Mm-hmm. I have anxiety. So I feel like it should be the same thing. Like I have bipolar disorder or someone with schizophrenia should be able to say I have schizophrenia. Um, so yeah, that's something that I I would say is is try not to make it the person's identity. Well, I think that that is a lovely place to leave it. Um, unless you have anything else you want to add. I don't think so. I think we really we covered it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for recording with me today. Of course. And. Um, I wish you all the best. Ditto.